Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Since I'm unable to be at SHOT Show this week, I am bringing SHOT Show to you guys with two guests related to the firearms industry. Today's guest will be Rachel Stroud, And then I'll announce tomorrow's guest tomorrow when the episode comes out. But Rachel and I met at a Brownells ladies hunt a couple years ago. We clicked, we became friends, and she's really interesting and a multi-hyphenate. She does a lot in the shooting sports realm. She educates her followers about different gun makes, handguns, rifles, and the like. She's also an avid hunter. We talk about gun bunnies. We discuss whether or not Georgia is less safe now with constitutional carry and many, many other topics. So here is my conversation with Rachel Stroud, a.k.a. Rapid Fire. Rachel, let me know what you think. Rachel, thanks for hopping onto the podcast. It's so good to catch you. I know you've been busy, but it's good to be able to catch up with you and and have you tell your story to my listeners. It's about time, too. I mean, we've been trying to do this for like over a year now, right? I know. Well, since we first connected in Michigan at the Brownells women's shoot that we did, it was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I still think, I still think back to that and it's hard to believe that it was been over a year since we were there. It is. And some of us didn't have good luck, but you had great luck. And I remember showing the video clip of you getting, I forget what it was. I think it was a woodcock. Yeah. And people were like, what is that bird? I've never seen it. So You had great, like, I think most of our party had good success, but it was challenging, but it taught me a lot of lessons about hunting in thick brush. So I I got a good education from that too. I got a real education on what thick brush actually is. (laughs) (laughs) It's very different. Yeah, it is. And we have a lot of undergrowth and stuff here in Georgia, but um, nothing like, nothing like that. Rachel, why don't you explain to people how you got to be so interested in firearms and also hunting? So I I think, you know, I think there's two sides of everything, right? You either have people that are brand new to shooting and are learning in their adulthood. Um, I I started when I was a child. Um, My dad, it was very much his hobby and um, he wanted to include us in what he loved to do. So I grew up around shooting. I've been shooting since I was about three years old. Um, And, you know, there were times in my life where it wasn't what I loved to do, but once I got into my teenage years, my dad started bringing out some of his more interesting um, guns in his collection, and I was hooked. Just absolutely loved it. So now something that we still do together, um, I actually get to go to a lot of industry things with my dad. We go to SHOT Show together, um, go to a bunch of different shoots together. And for a long time, we went to Knob Creek, which was a huge machine gun shoot out in Kentucky, um, twice a year, every year for 10 years. <laughs> 
you guys do post about that all the time. And I love seeing that connection because my dad and I have that too. My dad hasn't shot as much as like your dad and you, you guys do, but he, I got him roped into firearms and we got our concealed carry together. But it's so nice that even as you get older, you're able to spend this time with your dad and have fun and your social media followers, especially love seeing that connection you two share. I think they do too. It's, it's definitely special. I feel very blessed to have the relationship I do with uh, both of my parents. My mom's not on social media quite as much as my dad. Um, but I, I am very lucky in that I have a good relationship with both of them. You also post frequently with some of the animals that you have. I love whenever you post <laughs> your bunny <laughs> oh my and, gosh, other, and other critters that you have. So talk about that, like to kind of make lighthearted posts about firearms or kind of add some levity to your timeline with that. So how do you incorporate your pets into, into your repertoire? Okay. So first of all, let's just get the, uh, elephant out of the room. Obviously there's a term gun bunny, um, that people like to throw <laughs> around whether you are, aren't, um, the definition varies depending on who you're talking to. So I do have two rabbits. I grew up with rabbits. Um, and then a few years ago, I actually went on a rabbit rescue and helped to, um, rescue a couple of rabbits that were domesticated and then dumped. Um, so I have two rabbits and I play around with them and goat guns and they're my gun bunnies. We also have ducks and chickens. I've got a ton of ducks. Um, and we just adopted a puppy. <laughs> yes. Name- a cute Bernese mountain dog. Yes. Monty, the mountain dog. He's actually in my floor right now chewing something he's not supposed to. Hey. <laughs> Such a good breed. How, how is having him so far? Is it an adjustment? So, I mean, a little bit. It, it's something that we've been wanting for a long time. I, I have, I had two large dogs uh, growing up, Roxy and Arlie, and they're still around, but they're primarily at my parents' house. Um, so Monty is my husband and I's first dog together. And he's honestly amazing. Like he came to us pretty much potty trained, um, where he's had like a couple of accidents. Other than that, we've had no devastating loss of anything chewed, which is incredible. And he already knows how to sit and lay down and roll over, which I think he's smarter than I am. Um, But yeah, three weeks and he's already doing all this. So I'm pretty impressed. They're a very smart breed. And I don't know if he's like his cousin, the Pyrenees, but the Pyrenees are known to shepherd animals and keep the flock there. And did you hear about that story of a Pyrenees in Georgia in your state that actually protected the flock from like eight coyotes? Did you hear about that story? Yeah, I saw that going all over the internet. Um, and, and it's incredible. A great Pyrenees is something that we want once we get more land. Um, but what we loved about the Bernese is that they can't, they can do all of that. Um, but they're also really good companion dogs and really good with small animals, small children. So hopefully Lord willing, um, we will be blessed with children and we'll have this great dog to grow up with them. It's such a beautiful breed. It's one of my must have breeds when I'm able to afford one too. Cause I just love it's beautiful markings. They're so well-mannered. They're very sweet. Like I've never heard of an aggressive Bernese mountain dog. Like you never hear about that. They're not as controversial as like pit bulls or Dobermans or German shepherds. But they're, they're just such a sweet, sweet breed. So when I saw you post and announce that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can live vicariously through Rachel with the Bernese Mountain <laughs> yes. Dog. I'll make all the notes for you. So whenever you do get one, um, I can give you a good heads up on it. I appreciate that. <laughs> what I love about your social media, too, Rachel, you always post like a gun of the day post. What led you to do that and why do you do that? And you highlight some really fascinating makes like you, hi- you highlight handguns, rifles, shotguns. Like what propelled you to do that? So 2022 hit and I was like, you know, I, I want to think of something interesting to post um, that that could possibly help people learn. So obviously 
gun culture, gun industry, a lot of people focus on ARs, a lot of people focus on AKs. I wanted to do something where we're looking at everything. So we're looking at the old, we're looking at the new, we're looking at the uh, 1800s innovation, everything. I wanted, I just wanted to share everything because people get so focused in on what they see every day. Um, they might not know about a Chicago palm pistol. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just like the obscure. I like learning. Um, and so if, if I can post something that opens people's eyes to early technology of a revolver, that's interesting to me. And hopefully it's interesting to other people. Yeah, the early technology stuff. You have to come to Virginia. I've never done this before. I've shot like primitive guns with modern muzzle loaders, but there's an experience in Williamsburg. If you know Virginia history, which yeah. I, I know you do because you always post historical posts as well. But in Colonial Williamsburg, you have an option actually to pay like maybe 30 something dollars, maybe upwards of 100. I don't recall the cost of the experience, but you can shoot like actual primitive firearms from the colonial era, which is kind of neat. So you have to check that out one day. But I love when you incorporate the history and then just the different variations and makes. And how do people who follow you respond to that? Are they curious? They're like, oh, I want to check this out or I want to learn more. Like, is that what your most engaged, engaged posts are typically these gun of the day posts? So, so specifically on Facebook, it's been huge. Um, my Facebook following since doing gun in the days has jumped up, um, like almost 60,000 followers, which is insane. Um, but primarily people are either have some attachment to the gun. Maybe it was something that their grandfather had or, um, something that they've always loved or interested in, or, um, it's something that they do have questions about. So it's been cool. People a lot of times are sharing, you know, their either their experience or their thoughts, or maybe they saw it in a video game. Um, so I've, I've really been enjoying seeing what people have to say about different gun of the days, or I've even had requests, which there are quite a few that I haven't been able to get to yet. Um, one in specifically that this fellow has been asking for, for about a hundred days. And I think I know where to find it. I think I'll be able to find it at NRA's annual meeting this year. Um, but on the hunt for it. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. When you do alert me, cause I would love to share that as well. And with um, firearms and such, obviously you live in the state of Georgia. And I remember a lot of states last year were passing constitutional carry. They had warned a lot of people who work alongside me in media in different outlets were warning that if Georgia and other states pass constitutional carry, it'll be the wild, wild west. So can you report to my listeners what exactly is happening? Are you guys the wild, wild west or is everything okay? Um, I can 100% report to you that doesn't really feel like a lot has changed here in Georgia. Um, yes, we did pass cost constitutional carry, but I, I know several people are still renewing their concealed carry permits um, just because it makes it easier for them going to other states that maybe don't have constitutional carry. It's also a shorter process for going to a gun store and buying a gun. So um, I personally renewed mine and I know several other people that did, but it's really nice that we don't have to. It is an added luxury. I mean, it shouldn't be viewed as a luxury. It should be viewed as our rights. But yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand that these laws just give you free, free, like ability to not be responsible. And if you read the legislation, it says it's allowed for everyone except those who have criminal convictions against them like that. That's what it, it clearly states in the little fine line in all these bills. It It's like if you're if you're already barred from owning firearms, you're not going to be able to enjoy concealed carry. That's what a lot of these people misunderstand, in my opinion. Um, and it hasn't led to any surge in crime. Like the most available data, I think from 
what is it? One of these um, institutions, I always cite them. I, I forget off the top of my head. Oh, the Rand Corporation. That's what it is. So the Rand Corporation has done studies into like whether or not concealed carry leads to higher crime. And I think you could apply the same methodology to constitutional carry. And they found that there was no increased or decreased instance of crime whenever these laws were introduced. And I think even the opposite could be argued. Like when you have con- or concealed carry, for instance, crime tends to go down because the law abiding are able to protect themselves. And they're obviously the most careful, mindful people. And they're, they tend to commit crimes even less than law enforcement in some occasions too. And so it's just the, the, when, when they were trying to award this kind of crazy label to, to Georgia and Georgians, I was like, why would Georgians be irresponsible with constitutional carry? They're not going to be. No, I don't, I don't really believe they would be. I think any, any sort of crime rise that has happened would be specifically in the Atlanta area. And I think that that would have stemmed from um, the previous mayor and her no chase policies and all of those type things. So what is it like to work with companies in the outdoor industry? I know you work very closely with Brownells as one of their field agents for the, their Bureau of Propaganda. But what other companies have you worked with across the years? And you mentioned that you were, you've started to go solo more so. Could you elaborate on that as comfortably as you want to? Yeah, so so it's kind of a, a fun, freeing, but also a little scary feeling to say in 2023, I am finally working completely for myself. Um, I don't at this moment have any secondary job. Um, and I love that my husband is supporting me in this and believes that I can actually do it. So yeah, for the first time um, in a very long time, I don't have a job other than working for myself, <laughs> which, yeah, like I said, a little bit scary, but really exciting. Um, I have worked with Brownells since about 2016. Um, they are one of the first companies I ever worked with um, as far as social media goes. I absolutely love the guys at Brownells. Um, I would consider them family and support them as much as I can. Um, other companies that I've worked with, um, let me think. There's There's been a lot. I'm going to be a primary arms booth at SHOT Show this year. Um, I work with GSM Outdoors, um, specifically with the brands Walkers uh, Hearing Protection, um, SOG Knives, Cold Steel Knives, um, And on the hunting side, I'm working with uh, WGI, Wild Game Innovations Cameras. Um, Who else? A little bit all over the place. (laughs) No, it's great. That's awesome. No, and how we got connected was because of Brownells. And I've known those guys for a long time, too. I don't do the extent to which you do, but I try to insert myself here and there with them. And, And Roy has become a good friend of mine over the years since I joined Professional Outdoor Media Association and got into SHOT Show and all these other things from the media side. And you're absolutely right. They're they're welcoming. They're wonderful. And they know how to throw great events whenever those events are hosted. Absolutely. Don't they have something coming up? I think if I'm not I mistaken. Know. I know, um, I know that they have broadened the amount of events that they have been putting out. Um, last year, they I, they had something going on every single month. Um, I got to go with them to Florida on an iguana hunt, which was incredible. Probably Talk one about of the, that. <laughs> it's probably one of the most fun hunting experience of, experiences I've ever had. It, it's hunting um, in the canals in Fort Lauderdale um, with air rifles. We were with Python Cowboy um, and then a bunch of folks with Brownells and it's like high uh, energy, a lot going on. The dogs are jumping in the water to go get the iguanas that you shot because um, you do you do have to retrieve them. Um, it's not just getting rid of them. But iguanas are an invasive species, and um, I think they reproduce something like over a million a year. 
and they're ruining obviously vegetation in Florida and um, messing up bird wildlife and uh, infrastructure because they burrow underneath roads and other stuff. So um, yeah, we got to help with that, which was really cool. Um, and then we actually, Roy was on this. So obviously when we found out we could eat the iguanas, we were like, okay, we're going to eat iguana. And we did. How did it taste? It, so it was good. Um, we ate the cheek meat and we ate iguana legs. It was kind of like chicken. Um, I think that any problem with the meat was that maybe we overcooked it, uh, boiling it before we grilled it. Um, so it was a little bit chewy on some of the legs, but the cheek meat was incredible. Like I could see that being a delicacy and I'm surprised more people don't eat iguana, honestly. Why not let, and I have a video of me eating it and saying I liked it. So I promise it was real. I have to look through, through that because that would be funny to see as well. But yes, I've heard it tastes like chicken. They are everywhere. I remember going fishing almost two years ago with a friend of mine who does work for, well, when he's not like going fishing and he raises alligators privately too. He works for the water district in Broward County or Fort Lauderdale. One of those, well, Broward County encompasses Fort Lauderdale. So somewhere over there. And he took me to several different spots like canals and community ponds where you can publicly access it. And we, when we were fishing for peacock bass, we would encounter iguanas Every single spot we went to, especially like the areas in residential neighborhoods, it was crazy how ubiquitous and omnipresent they were. Like it was scary. I thought they would attack us at some point. And there was a group of a mother duck and her like eight, nine ducklings. And we were worried that the iguana was going to snatch them. Yeah, I, I know they're prim- they're supposed to be primarily um, vegetarians, I guess. They I don't think they're supposed to eat meat as much, but I think they do. Um, cause I've seen videos of them eating meat, but supposedly they don't, I could see them eating eggs though. Did you guys get to do peacock bass fishing? Wild- we did. Yeah. The first day. Did you catch any? I did. Yeah. I think everybody did. Um, and then there was four, I think there were four different types of fish that we were looking for. Um, peacock bass was one of them. And then there was like a, I don't, I can't remember what it was called. If it was like a clown snake or, Clownfish. Uh, clown I don't know if it was clownfish. I could have sworn it was snake something. Snakehead? Uh, I don't know. It's I probably those know. two. It was yeah. a weird, it was a weird looking thing. They said that um they're not supposed to be in the lake, but somebody released them as pets. Of course. Hence them being in the lake now. Um and I think the only person that caught all four was Cody, which was awesome because it was cool just to see them. <laughs> Florida does have an array of amazing fish. It's incredible. I mean, some of them are naturally occurring. Some of them are non-native and invasive brought in. So you do need to manage them much like you do with hogs or other type of (laughs) species that creep up. And did they ever talk about, did the Python cowboy talk about like finding pythons? Because people have inserted those into the Everglades and they're a huge problem. So I was not on the same boat as him. Um, Our group was big enough that we had to split up into two different groups. I so I didn't get to talk with him a whole lot about that. I would like to go back and go on a python hunt though. Um and I know I he's obviously he's python cowboy, so he's got some crazy stories about hunting pythons. Um yeah, I don't know. I know they're dangerous and I know he's had his arm ripped open before, but oh my gosh, pretty wild. Since you have talked about iguana hunting, I know you do regular hunting as well because we've gone on trips and and you've done it I think probably longer than I have but what led to your interest in hunting was it in conjunction with your foray into firearms did you do it since you were a little girl your dad taught you or did you learn how to hunt separately or in a different I would say stage of life 
So growing up, I didn't actually hunt a lot with my dad other than going with him and sitting in the woods. Um, and that was just something we kind of like to do. I like to listen to the birds in the morning and I still love that about hunting. Um, we primarily deer hunted when I was a child and then, um, growing up the first time I actually went hunting with my dad, um, I was in my teens and I think we probably went out with me hunting. I can't tell you how many times before I actually got a deer, um, (laughs) But yeah, I think I've gotten into it a lot more than him. It was primarily just to fill the freezer operation, fill the freezer every fall um, was kind of why we were hunting. And then as I got more into the firearms industry, I got invited on different hunts. So Brownells is the first, uh, the first group to take me on um, a bird hunt. We went pheasant hunting a few years ago. And then again, when I met you, we went, um, hunting for grouse and woodcock, which was awesome. And it's just kind of stemmed from there. Now I've been on iguana hunts. I've been hog hunting. Um, I actually, this past year went to Africa for the first time with, um, Grizz Media and African wild safaris and got to hunt, um, plains game in Africa, which was an experience. I don't even know how to describe. (laughs) Did you have lions and other predators nearby? Did they have to like make you aware of that? Um, so on the property we were on since primarily everything out there is high fenced, um, we saw lions, but they were not on the property we were on. I can't remember how many acres they said it was, but we didn't really see any of the fences and it felt very wild. We did see, um, we did see, oh no, I can't remember what it was. It was a big cat, but it wasn't a lion. A jaguar? Was it a, oh, leopard. A leopard, sorry, not jaguar. Those are in South America. What I am I saying? I wanted to say jaguar too, and I was like, <laughs> big cats got spots. Um, yeah, a leopard. So we did see a leopard um, one of the days. Well, two of the days we were out there. One day we walked up. Um, they were actually, they were trying to move um, a Cape buffalo to a different area. Uh, so they had a helicopter out there, and they were tranquilizing it. We got to watch them move the Cape Buffalo into a truck loaded up, but where the Cape Buffalo dropped, it dropped on a fresh kill of a leopard, which was crazy. The leopard had pulled a springbok buck and the tree right next to where the, um, the Cape Buffalo dropped. So that was crazy. And then we actually saw one running around while we were out there. So it's, it's kind of intimidating. Like maybe there weren't lions on this property, but literally everything out there can kill you. (laughs) That's true. And have you watched the Yellowstone spinoff 1923? It's kind of focused on this. I won't give anything away to you, but I love that they show one of the characters, uh, one of the Duttons is a big game tracker, which is a very fascinating arc. And I was like, whoa. So I won't give away, but you have to watch it because the, this storyline is really fascinating and people are loving it, even if they don't like hunting. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to watch that. I actually, while we were, we had just started watching Yellowstone while we were in Africa um, I think we were like a season in and I was like, man, you could do the exact same thing, a South African version of Yellowstone and talk about um, the the generations of people that have been on this property because the the folks that own African Wild Safari, um, it was his grandfather's land before it was his father's and now his and his, him and his brother are running this together. Um, but then the the folks that work on the property, they've been there for generations, too. So it's it's just an incredible it was incredible to get to know everyone there. Do you have any goals for hunting coming up? Have you done anything much out West or is that still on your goals of things to Um, do? I have not done anything out West. I really haven't done anything. uh, There's there's a ton of stuff I'd like to do. (laughs) Have you, I mean, bear hunting has to be on your mind, like a black bear hunt because those are everywhere in Georgia. So uh, 
I'll say this. I've never, I've never really wanted to hunt bear, but I also never thought I'd ever, first of all, ever go to Africa or ever really want any kind of taxidermy. And now I don't know, it's like evolving. Right. So the further I get into it, the more I want to do and the more I'm doing things that I might not necessarily have thought I wanted to. Um, but then the experiences that I've gotten from them have been something that I'm very thankful for. Yeah. And it does build up the interest in hunting. I think for me, I would love to get an elk one day. We now have elk hunting in Virginia because of the efforts of different stakeholders here. And it's so nice to be like, okay, maybe in some distant future I can draw for a tag and it's only going to be like $15 to do the base entry. And then you do like $40 for the license if you get drawn as a resident. So like I would only pay 50 some odd dollars to hunt elk in my state if I'm lucky. Wow. <laughs> One that's day awesome. in the future. And so, I mean, it's going to be only like five or six people um, that can hunt the elk initially until we get like a bigger population. But you should try to draw for the Virginia tag. You won't have anything to lose. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Elk is something that I would love to do. I'd, I'd love to even just see a moose in real life. <laughs> yeah. There were so many moose. Where were I didn't see any close to me, but I was told when I was traveling in like Northwest Montana this year, past year to look out for moose in the national forest. I didn't see anything, no trace of them. The only time I saw a moose was a dead one that a young hunter had harvested on the first day of Chiros moose season in Colorado when I was vacationing there. And it was so cool to like talk to the guy and be like, how was it to get a moose? And he was super happy. And this was in a Safeway parking lot where they needed to buy some more supplies and bags and whatnot. And so it was kind of fun to talk about that, but yes, moose would be fun to see and they're delicious too. And I've, from what I've been told, I don't know. It's hard to see them in our corner of the U S in the Southeast. They don't really reside here. (laughs) No, they definitely don't. I've never, we've driven, we've done a lot of road trips. My husband and I love road trips. Um, and we, we actually went up to Glacier, uh, national park a few years ago and I was like, Oh, I just hope we see a moose. We saw a grizzly bear, which was intimidating in its own way. Um, but we saw a lot of elk, but moose is something I'd love to see. If my listeners want to know anything about you that you haven't discussed or some kind of final thoughts that you have, what would you want to share with everyone? Oh man. I feel like we only barely tipped the iceberg here. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Any fun plans? You know, you said shot show. Is there anything else that you're going to be appearing at this year? Um, so I'll definitely be at shot show. I, I normally do go to NRA's annual meeting. Um, I, I love that event and the fact that anyone can go to that. So I, I enjoy getting to meet um, the people that have supported me all of these years. And um, other than that, I, I'm i trying to let this year be a little less travel. Last year was insane for me in all the best ways, though. Um, but yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to spend a little more time at home. We just got the puppy. Um, we've got a lot of plans for the house and a lot of stuff to do around here and uh, focus a little more on pumping out some content for YouTube. So that that's the plans. <laughs> relaxation doesn't hurt. I'm in the same boat because like you, I had a very insane travel schedule. It'll ramp up a little bit later, but not now, which is nice. So I totally feel you, Rachel, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to follow you list all your social media accounts, if you can. All of them. Okay. So, um, on Instagram, Rachel B three, 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 Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, everything else is rapid fire. Rachel. Wonderful. It is so fun to catch up with you. I have no doubt we'll probably cross paths again. I'm going to try to get you to some conferences at some point, but don't be a stranger. And if you want to come back anytime on the podcast to share anything you're working on, please be my guest and and come back on anytime. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm counting on it. And now that you mentioned the Williamsburg event or the Williamsburg experience, I feel like we need to do that. So we have to do that. That would be fun to document. Absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.